Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello and welcome to an early autumn edition of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. I begin today's program with the obvious. Our country and the whole world has been in various stages of lockdowns social distancing, and quarantines for months now when almost all of us are frazzled, irritable, and itching to get back out and get our lives back as normal. But health officials tell us that the pandemic isn't over just yet. In fact, they warn of increased risk as we move into fall and winter and the threat of the annual flu teaming up with COVID-19. And bottom line, to quell the spread of coronavirus, we'll need to continue our present precautions for the foreseeable future, perhaps well into 2021. And like me, do you feel afraid, frustrated, and helpless to change things? Especially frustrating, none of us have ever in our lives experienced the degree of social isolation we are experiencing now. Wouldn't it be great to receive some helpful advice from a person who has been through quarantine before, suffered our frustrations, and come out a stronger, positive person? Well, my guest today, author Nikki Nardizzi, has been there and done that. In the year 2010, after a double kidney and pancreas transplant, Nikki was put on a three-month quarantine because the anti-rejection medication had left her immune system extremely weak. As a result, to a greater degree than what we've been under, Nikki Darnese experienced what all of us are experiencing now. But here's the good news. In hindsight, Nikki says her earlier quarantine experience has given her a different perspective on today, and she's much stronger now and more than ready to understand and be ready for what's currently going on and Nikki Nardisi is here to explain how she's been reacting to the quarantine this time around, what she's doing differently, and why you can too. In fact, improving your long-term prospects for a joyful and productive post-pandemic lifestyle. And if you think you've got it bad, listen to Nikki Nardisi's background. At age 12, she was diagnosed with juvenile diabetes, and by the time she was 41, she had become legally blind, contracted meningitis, lost both her parents, and had had both a kidney and pancreas transplant. Then at age 43, her husband suggested that they live separately, telling her that she was miserable and he too was miserable and couldn't continue living like that. And by her own later admission, her husband was right. Rather than giving in to her circumstances, Nikki Nardisi set out to find happiness and self-love, and she found it, 
and she tells her story in the 2019 book. I love this title, Badass Gratitude, A Memory of Finding Forgiveness and Strength. And today, Nikki is a life coach and advisor who now guides others to find their confidence and self-love. And hello, Nikki. I can't begin to tell you how honored we have uh, we are to have you with us today on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Oh, hi, Roy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful to be here. And it's also the first time that I've been referred to as middle-aged, so, you know. <laughs> I didn't refer to you as middle-aged. <laughs> no, I know. That's I am turning 50. I, I just didn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the new uh, 30, right? <laughs> it is. It definitely is. Well, let's start with your prior quarantine experience following uh, your 2010 kidney and pancreas transplants. What restraints were imposed on you uh, from social interaction and due to your weakened immune system, I presume, and they were much stricter than the current COVID-19 restrictions we face today. Were you permitted to relieve your residence? And other than your husband, were you permitted to interact with anyone face-to-face? It was very touch-and-go, especially in the beginning of what I could and couldn't do uh, because the amount of anti-rejection medicine that I was on was so high initially, you know, right after the transplant. The only uh, only place I went was the hospital for uh, labs and blood work and testing for the first couple of weeks, but that was it. <laughs> you get to go to the hospital, a real yes, treat. Yes, it was a very exciting reprieve from my living room. <laughs> <laughs> well, during the quarantine, how were you able to maintain your sanity, and with what activities uh, did you fill your day? Did you uh, phone and social media communication in any way compensate for the lack of face-to-face contact? Or, it know, did. Or, yeah, it did. I mean, you know, thank goodness I could still call people. We had, um, oh, God, it's been so, we had Skype, you know, back then, way back, yeah. way back when. Ancient history, 2000. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I almost forgot the name of it. It's been so long. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are things that we could do. Thank goodness I, it happened while I was in a time where we did have the technology, yeah. Um, I mean, I understand the person-to-person contact is not there, but I think what I needed to know in the beginning, or at least a little bit into it, is that they're, when they put me on the quarantine, they weren't doing anything to me. Oh, yeah. That's, you know? That's a good way they, to... Yeah, what? they were doing it for me. Yeah. And really, so, uh, this current quarantine guidelines is for us and for others. It's not just as a punishment. No, no. You know, I, I, I'm not going to get preachy. I'm not going to get political, but no. we just don't know enough about this to say this is what will work. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's still a mystery. Thank goodness in my case, uh, earlier they, they knew they had done transplants before, so they knew exactly what to do. Yeah. But, you know, whether they knew what to do, it was up to me to understand that this was going to keep me safer. Yeah. Well, you acknowledge that your prior isolation has given you a different perspective and understanding of what's currently going on. In what ways has your perspective changed? 
in the last 10 years. <laughs> oh, my perspective has changed quite a bit. Um, just on life in general. Yeah. You know, it, it's... The, when things happen, we have to... I feel like we have to make ourselves learn from them. Yeah. You know, and we have to... Things are going to happen. We are the ones who give meaning to them. And you can choose what meaning you give to what your life brings you. It's amazing how different people have a different perspective on the exact same event. (laughs) It's true. I know. I know. Well, you know, that's, that's what makes the world go around, right? But as long as you're, you're solid with what you believe, you know, nobody can take that away from you. When you're uh, solid in your belief that you're capable of uh, making yourself better and making circumstances better. Right. Circumstances are the circumstances. That you yeah. can't change, you know. But but your approach – so, you know, I'm still working. I'm kind of working on another book. It's uh, oh. not really flowing out of me as the first one did. But I have some other businesses that I'm, that I'm starting up and oh, – you know, I get dressed every morning as as I did before. I don't go to an office. I work from home, but I still like to, you know, I put on my heels. I'm a New York girl. I put on my heels. I get dressed. I make myself presentable, you know, and I'm in work mode. Yeah. And I keep a schedule that I kept before as well. You know, I take the dog out at the same time as I did before. It, it's It's a consistency that I've stuck with through the pandemic that's nostalgic of pre-pandemic times. Yeah, well, you're working from home. You're used to that. I'm like a lot of us that, uh, for the first time had to do that. But, uh, so you do have that. Yeah, it can be very, very challenging. Um, I remember when I started working from home, I was less motivated. I was like, look at all this free time I have. I can yeah. wear my pajamas and do my work. But it's just it's not the same mindset. And my husband's home now, too. You know, he wasn't working from home. Oh. But he's been home for months and months. Is so, that the same husband who separated from you years ago? It is. It oh. is. This is why I have to write another book. We <laughs> we got back together. <laughs> yeah, yes. <that's> great. <laughs> well, uh, let's go on to the million-dollar question. Can you offer a few suggestions on how we can make the best use of our time, not only to maintain our sanity, but also to establish a more positive outlook on life and our future prospects, both during the pandemic and once it's over. And is it possible to view current social distancing less as a threat and more as an opportunity? And how do we do that? <laughs> well, really putting it on me, aren't you, Roy? Okay. Well, just a few ideas. You no, know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely day-to-day. Um, this, this can be our reset time if we choose yeah. it to be, right? So like a New Year's resolution, which I'm not a big fan of. I say create new habits. Don't create resolutions because we all know what happens to those. Yeah. But, you know, start if you want to start a new habit, get up. I walk a couple of miles every day in my apartment because they have YouTube videos. Walk a mile oh, in 15 minutes. Yeah. You know, so I can get up a couple of times a day. And I'm not just sitting, which is also well, not that's, good that's for... That's a real good idea. You obviously yeah, have enough room in your apartment to do that. 
it's you know what you don't need that much room really it's i'm not walking you know it's it's a walk at home it's kind of an in place you need about two or three feet each way and you'll be good to go if you could if you have room to move a coffee table or a chair um definitely keep a schedule as much as you can because it still keeps your brain focused on things you have to do yeah. You know, and go into it knowing that this won't last. It'll be a while. It won't last forever. But it's different, but it doesn't mean it's bad. I think a key is to plan for things the way you want them better, not just to return to exactly like they were before. <laughs> Def- oh, definitely, definitely. You can choose how you come out of this, yeah. you know, and what happens after to obviously a certain extent but you may notice that people who you used to talk to all the time, but, you know, it was a work thing, yeah. they're, they're, you're not speaking with them as much, and it's your choice. Do you want to try and reconnect with them or not? You know, it's, everything is up to you how you approach it, and it's really just going deep and saying, am I willing to let this go? Am I willing to let something new in? Yeah. You know, face a fear of something different. We, I mean, we all, when I became legally blind, I, that was it for me. I just felt like I couldn't, I was incapable. I was literally labeled disabled, unable. Yeah, and I lived um, my life as such. We're going to talk you know. about your book in a little bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, we might have a three-part series if we... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of folks have had their work hours and compensation reduced or worse yet have been temporarily or permanently laid off or furloughed. Any suggestion on what listeners can do to preserve, conserve cash and, uh, like you said, uh, generate income? Uh, you talked about some new businesses you were into, if, at least in the short term. How do we uh, become uh, uh, refrain from becoming overrun with fear of being able to provide for the necessities of living for us and our families? Well, I I think there's very, you know, everybody's in a very different situation. Yeah. Um, And there's so many, so many just, I can't even think of the right, this is why I'm a writer. I can sit and think about the word. (laughs) So many variables, you know, in everybody's home life, how many children you have, where you live, what your job was, you know, it's. Whether your I, children can go back to school or have to learn from home. Yeah, <laughs> New York, I mean, people you don't seem to be able to figure out what to do. Don't they? Oh no, it's <laughs> it's a hot mess over here, but we're getting through. Yeah. You know, most people have masks on, at least for now. Restaurants are open outside. It's kind of nice walking down the streets and the and the avenues, and there's tables outside with big umbrellas over them, and you know. Well, it's, it's, they'll be there when it's 10 below in January. Well, that's what we're hoping. I'm going to buy stock in uh, heating lamps <laughs> yeah. before the winter comes. But, well, let's turn yeah. to your amazing story. The underlying theme of our program is uh, middle-age renewal, and based on a preliminary preview of your popular 2019 memoir, Badass Gratitude, I'm ready to nominate you for Renewal of the Decade. As an inspiration to our listeners who are going through a difficult time, I'd like to share a few highlights of your amazing transformation. 
And let's begin with your early childhood. In your early years of life, it appears you were well-adjusted, had warm, loving parents, a high achiever, good grades, self-confidence, and close friends. Which I think you mentioned the shock that occurred at age 12 during a routine physical exam to attend the same beloved summer camp for the third time. How did the oh, yeah. diagnosis impact your emotional state during the remainder of growing up? I think you already mentioned you felt like a, a victim or a, an incomplete person suddenly. You know, it, at 12 years old, I wasn't uh, – my brain – and my emotions weren't mature enough to accept and understand what I had to do moving forward. Yeah. I had no idea what diabetes was. You know, the doctor was like, you're not going to camp. You're going to yeah. the hospital. And I said, well, I can go back for the second half, right? Because there's, you know, he's just like, no, you have no idea what's going on, do you? He but, had a great bedside manner, didn't he? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, that was the doctor in the hospital. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, but you know, it was, it was also how I was so mad and I was so upset and my whole life had changed. And I, as I said, I didn't have the ability to process everything and understand it no matter how it was presented to me. And I rebelled and I just, I ate what I wanted and I didn't take care of myself. You know, everyone told me I could be normal. I can do normal things. I could do this. I could do that. Yeah. But as a Jewish girl, you know, at age 13, all your friends are getting bar and bat mitzvah and big parties and candy and yeah. cake and, you know, but they would literally label mine special cake. I didn't well, feel you, very normal. <laughs> as a young adult, uh, were you able to hold a job and earn a living? I, I think you went uh, legally blind at age 23. And do you maintain an active social life? And how are you able to compensate for your blindness and several other health issues that soon confronted you. I was. Uh, after high, before I became legally blind, I went to college for fashion design and merchandising, oh. Oh. and I had my manicuring license. You know, all the visual things that you, have, yeah. that you do when you have good vision. Um, after that, and I obviously couldn't do, man, nobody wanted a manicure for me anymore, I worked in a small office for an attorney who understood uh, and had the patient, you know, he mostly had the patience for me to make a couple of mistakes here and there because nothing would go, but it was a legal office. Everything got double checked anyway, but he understood um, I could take a little more time. Oh, I see. You know, but he, he got it. He was very nice about it, usually. Yeah. And I was able to earn a, a menial living. I found a boyfriend. Um, I couldn't drive, which living oh, in those suburbs is not fun. So then I felt like I was a burden to everybody. But I had a long-term relationship, and he always drove. And, you know, while I felt like a burden, I knew that he loved me, and he just wanted to be with me. So it was fine. Um, and then I was actually able to move to Hoboken, New Jersey, which is more city-like, and I found a job in New York, oh, nice. which, yeah, which was great because That's I was Frank so independent. Sinatra's old hometown, isn't it? It <laughs> is. It is. Yeah. It's a great little town. It's so much fun. Yeah. Um, of course, I was there almost 20 years ago, but it was fun then when I was single <laughs> in my, you know, 29, 30 <laughs> 
Well, but, things appear to have hit rock bottom in your early 40s when you underwent those transplants, went into a three-month quarantine, lost both of your parents, and your husband asked for a separation. You were miserable. He was miserable. He wanted out, and he told you you should find your own happiness. I'm shocked because in your biography you conclude or concede he was right. Now alone and miserable, uh, what led you to see the light and uh, what inspired you to turn the corner and set out on your own uh, to find your own happiness? Well, I, you know, I, when I say that he was right, I, I don't know if it was the defiant personality in me in the beginning that said, I'll show you how miserable I am and I can be on my own. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I just, I started, I almost, unconsciously didn't allow it to stop me. Huh. And I, I don't know, like I've come this far. I'm legally blind. I had a transplant. I had diabetes. Yeah. You know, I lost my parents. I've been in jail. Like, look at everything you survived. So I tried to realize what made me unhappy, what I can do to fix it. I had a very strange encounter with an energy healer on 3rd oh. Avenue. Oh. <laughs> That's in the book, too. In the middle of the street? <laughs> I know. It was right in the middle of the sidewalk, and I oh. usually am like, no, 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 you know. Yeah. But um, I just, something in me just said, you can do this. Was there a, and I was on autopilot for a little while. Or, uh, did the, your transition occur gradually? It sounds like the light came on right at that moment when you decided that uh, you were going to... Uh, move ahead and, and regain your happiness? Well, it was gradual. Um, the transition was gradual. And like I said, I think it was an unconscious thing that was just like, I'll, I'll be happy. Everybody innately wants to be happy, right? Nobody wants to be miserable. No. It's just not in human nature. And yet um, some people use whatever problems they have as an excuse to be miserable. And they stubbornly refuse to change to their own. Exactly. I said, yeah, I said, I don't know how to be happy. Yeah, I said, I don't know how to be happy. I mean, look at my life. And then that's when I was like, look at your life. You know, I'm, you're still here for starters. Well, I had my. In your website's about me page, you informed, I tried different things to get me there. Some worked (laughs) and some didn't. I found what worked and still works for me. And from the book's title, I assume that uh, gratitude was a major part of your recovery. And although you acknowledge that not everything works for anyone, will you please briefly describe a few of the recovery initiatives that have worked for you that might work for someone else? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, Well, I started meditating, which I had never done. I thought that, you know, that was for the new age hippies from the 60s yeah. who, you know, with the crystals, think. yeah, and the scarves and the dancing and like that was not, <laughs> that was not for me. But I tried it. I started getting better at it. I was able to shut out the world for a few minutes and it felt good, you know, and I think that's what kept me going. Yeah. And I just, the gratitude was something that... I would write down things I'm grateful for. I would just look around my apartment. I said, you know, make sure every day you look for something that you're grateful for. 
difficult answer. So, like, no seek more. it out. It, you know, it, it doesn't always just come to you, especially in the beginning. Like, I said, look around your apartment, and the first thing I said was, oh, my God, I'm legally blind, but I can still look around my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have enough vision. I can look around my apartment and see what oh. I'm grateful for. Oh, so it's, yeah, it's just things that that we take for granted. I still take my granted for my vision for granted sometimes because yeah. I still have it, you know, and I understand that, but I'm very grateful for it. Well, your that book, makes sense at all. Cover, uh, contains, in my opinion, one of the most essential revelations required for authentic renewal, midlife renewal, or any time. Uh, it says on the back cover, Nikki realized that after so many years of allowing her circumstances to define her, it was time to define herself. At what moment did you reach the conclusion that you, not circumstances or other people, controlled your own destiny? I ha- Speaking of meditation before, I had an experience with a meditation that changed my life in a split second. Um, it was a wonderful meditation, and I, I hope everybody in their life gets to have this moment where I forgave myself. Oh, that's the first thing we need to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I forgave myself for not believing in myself, for, you know, not trying things that possible. I'm not going to say I should have. I don't like should because, especially in the past, that we were where we were. Yeah. Um. You know, but but I'm still happy and I love the person I am. I'm not. I'm that person. I'm not the legally blind girl. Yeah, we can't really love others until we love ourselves and respect ourselves. Otherwise, exactly. we'll be too dependent on others and won't be a real benefit for them. Yeah, it's until I found my own self-worth, you know, it, it really... I wasn't moving forward. And I think that's why I was so stuck in being miserable. I felt like I had to depend on everybody else. Yeah. Well, how's your life today in 2020? I understand you're back with your husband, which is good news. And how are things going now? Do you feel uh, truly blessed? Things are going well. Yeah, thank you. Um, I live in a you know, decent size apartment in New York City with my husband, who, thank goodness, we never got divorced. And we have a giant 125-pound dog who's just the biggest baby. (laughs) I wondered if you had a service or he's just a regular dog or is he actually uh, like a... He's just a... Yeah, he's just a regular dog. Uh, I don't have a service dog. I still get around very well in the neighborhood where I'm, you know, in my neighborhood because I'm familiar yeah. The people know me. Most people know I'm legally blind. So I get around very well. If I go, if I stray outside my neighborhood, <laughs> either somebody comes with me yeah. or if I get in an Uber, they'll meet me at the corner where I tell the Uber to drop, you know. So, yeah. well, um, but I mean, every I have a good, great little pack of friends and we're here and, you know, we're doing everything we can to keep sane during these times and we all help each other. We lean on each other. Yeah. Where that that's so key too to uh, look to help others rather than just worry about your own misery and isolation. Now, where is the best place to preview and purchase your book, Badass Gratitude? 
Uh, it's available on Amazon, actually, in Kindle uh, edition and paperback. So you can either type in my name, Nikki Nardizi, and Amazon, or Badass Gratitude, and it's G-R-A-T-T-I-T-U-D, so small G-R, big attitude. I think there's <laughs> also a uh, an audio version that people can get. You know, I, I know on the uh, an Audible official site where people can sign up uh, for online book club and can get an audio uh, version of that. I haven't seen that, which would be ironic in so many ways. But I have not seen or heard about that, so I will have to double-check that. I haven't been able to find that. I ran across that, and that sounds like something that would be great for someone else who has a problem with vision. Uh, What's uh, your website where people can uh, learn more about you? It is www.nikkinardizzi.com. And that's N-I-K-K-I-N-A-R-D-I-Z-Z-I. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's a great website. And, uh, well, in conclusion, I believe the best way to summarize what Nikki Nardizzi has to offer is to quote a couple of reviewers on Amazon. Barbara M. writes, story is authentic, and this woman is a wonder. Can't imagine going through what she has in her life and landing so well on her feet. And W. Jacobs relates, a hopefulness saturated by gratitude. Thank you, Nikki, for bearing all so I can reflect on inner struggles cast in the light of hope rather than hidden in the lap of discouragement. I love those reviews. And I don't mean to diminish in any way, folks, uh, the emotional, perhaps financial setbacks you have experienced under the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, but I wager to bet that few of us have suffered through the health and uh, emotional life challenges that have confronted Nikki Nardizzi. And as Nikki promises, using my experience and life's experience, I can help you too. The choice is yours. The choice is always yours. Remember that. The COVID-19 pandemic is an ideal time to take Nikki Nardizzi up on her offer, and I recommend you preview and purchase her book, Badass Gratitude, and, uh, or visit her website, NikkiNardizzi.com. And thank you so much, Nikki, for joining us today. Best of success on your book and in all that you do. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure to be here with you. Wow, Nikki Nardizzi is quite an inspiration. All the health battles she has gone through, and she's today she's still legally blind. But you'd never know it from talking with her. A lesson to all of us who uh, so-called suffer from coronavirus uh, isolation and uh, fear of the future and cancellations. Uh, for much of the, our program, or the rest of the program today, I'm going to address common excuses some of us make for not renewing our lives now. Perhaps you're 100% certain that your life today and your prospects for the future are not all that you wish them to be, yet you remain reluctant to begin work on transforming your destiny at this moment in time. Perhaps your excuse is one or more of the following. I'm simply too busy right now. I can't find a minute. Work, family, and social obligations simply are too much. 
probably less than they were a year ago. But uh, I feel like I'm running faster all the time just to catch up. And a companion excuse is I just can't seem to get organized. Here's the second excuse. I don't have the money. I admit I don't relish my current occupation, employer, boss, work responsibilities, but who will pay the bills if I quit my job to look for something better? A third excuse for not starting renewal now, my life will change someday with blank. And then fill in the blank. Examples of when are after my children finish school, once my divorce is finalized, as soon as I find a new job, and when my workload is not so heavy, or here's the best one of all, after my rich uncle dies. A third or fourth excuse, what good would do me anyway, given my present sorry circumstances and the negative people all around me, it isn't realistic to hope for significant life improvement. And uh, here's another great one. God will make good things happen if it's God's will for me to prosper. In God's only scheme, there is really nothing I can do. I simply will pray and place my future in God's hands. Now, that sounds noble, but it really doesn't work. You need to help God uh, if you want your life to change. Here's another great one. I would uh, renew now and change my life today, if only. And if only is always some external factor not under your control, often in the past and almost always beyond uh, an individual's immediate control. If only seldom ever can be counted upon to occur. And here's a great one. In light of recent events, the world is just too scary right now. I could contract uh, corona or COVID-19 or lose my job. I'm not going to stick my neck out. I think I'll just plug along until the world straightens itself out. And a final excuse some people make, it hurts too much right now. My pain is too deep. Ever since the death of my spouse, life partner, maybe son or daughter or parent, the one person in my life I can't live without, I simply don't have the energy or willpower to face today or tomorrow. There is no way I can build a positive future without him or her. Well, at times, procrastination can be even more counterproductive than self-delusion. We all know men and women who openly acknowledge that they are less than content with present circumstances, may be miserable, but instead of attacking the problem, uh, they proceed to complain bitterly and worry incessantly over lingering frustrations and unfulfilled aspirations. These complainers insist they fully intend to renew, just not right now. Rather than seeking to resolve current issues and move beyond them, they blame circumstances beyond their control and just about everyone else in the world for keeping them down. When you think about it, the ultimate insanity is continued pursuit of a career, relationships, or lifestyle, which clearly is not working for you. Well, let us begin with the, uh, the first excuse. We'll try to address that today. I'm too busy right now. Well, a simplistic yet appropriate response to that all-too-common complaint is as follows. Pray tell, what is more important than renewing and reviving your life? 
You simply must make the time. Well, I'll not preach to you about organizing daily activities, managing time, or setting priorities. There are plenty of outstanding books on the subject, including The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that well-known book by Stephen Covey. Uh, but I can offer a few uh, rudimentary suggestions. First of all, commit yourself to making time now to renew. I only ask for a sincere time commitment. At this point, you may be far from certain that you can accomplish and sustain a positive mental attitude, but you know only that you wish to try. At the start, please commit uh, to a little uh, extra time each week. Second, make known to your spouse or significant other and your children uh, that you plan to take the necessary time to re-examine your life today and establish firm, positive priorities for the future. And be careful to communicate the desire for change without appearing self-indulgent or threatening. An ideal tactic is to inform significant others that you simply are not satisfied with present life patterns and intend to dedicate time to alter your direction and that no one else to blame, especially them. You may wish to add that renewal in the initial stages must be private and personal, but that you will involve them fully and will seek their advice and counsel later. Emphasize that your ultimate goal is to prove life circumstances both for them and you. Uh, true friends and loved ones will understand. Then enter each new week with specific blocks of time committed to renewal. Can you commit to an additional two to six hours each week performing meditation and self-help exercises? Aren't there one or two TV programs which you can give up? You really need to surf the Internet this evening. Inform your spouse and family members of your schedule in advance, and please do not permit yourself to become disheartened over an occasional schedule lapse, but always reschedule a missed session as you would any other important engagement. Never permit too much time to lapse between renewal sessions because you'll lose momentum. Reflect in a quiet place where you will not be disturbed. You must make certain that you're away from cell phones, pagers, fax machines, TVs, computers, and your spouse and children. If you can't locate a peaceful room in your home, go to the public library. The initial stages of renewal must be accomplished alone without interruption or distraction. Establish as an initial goal to take small steps each day to remove clutter and balance your activities. You cannot expect to clear up your hectic lifestyle all at once, but you can clear tomorrow's agenda for at least one hour and stop condemning yourself over lack of organization and simply get down to business. Promise to keep your significant others informed of progress, although life transformation will require extensive personal introspection. I strongly encourage you to share progress with loved ones. You may decide routinely to describe conclusions or to ask for advice, but that is totally up to you. In the early stages of renewal, you do not need to prove anything to anyone. And a brief warning for overburdened midlifers, are you employing time constraints or lack of organization 
as a crutch to avoid early and meaningful examination of your life today, please do not let a cluttered agenda serve as an excuse for doing absolutely nothing. The uh, recommendations I just talked about come from my book, A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and you can preview and purchase it at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, or through my website, middleagerenewal.com, and I'll discuss uh, some of the other procrastination excuses on future programs. Bye for now. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 